that line from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, <laughs> when he's not safe, it doesn't mean that we're not safe with him and that our stories and our brokenness isn't safe good. Yeah. with him. Yeah. It means that you can't be around him and not be changed. <laughs> like mm, Your heart right. is going to be transformed because mm-hmm. you can't help when you come completely through the door like a broken mess with nothing to offer and you encounter love and generosity and empathy and kindness and mercy and grace that is available to us in the presence of God, you don't walk away the same. Yeah. You're listening to God Hears Her, a podcast for women where we explore the stunning truth that God hears you, He sees you, and He loves you because you are His. Find out how these realities free you today on God Hears Her. Welcome to God Hears Her. I'm Erin Eddy. And I'm Elisa Morgan. How many times do we feel ragged and burned out, broken, and basically just a hot mess? And yet we believe we need to suck it up and show up in front of God with a smile plastered on our faces. Or in front of our church, too. Like everything is just hunky-dory. Well, our next guest, Ellie Holcomb, has a conversation with us today about taking on grit, grounding ourselves in God's truth, and showing up as we are, hot mess and all. It's a freeing conversation for all of us. Yes, I love that. But first, a bit of a background about Ellie Holcomb. She's a Nashville native and grew up in the music industry. She began her musical career by touring the country with her husband, Drew Holcomb. But after the birth of their first child, Ellie stepped away from touring. From that space came her debut album, As Sure As The Sun. And she was awarded Best New Artist at the 2014 Dev Awards. She has released multiple albums since then, and also a best-selling book. But let's get this true grit conversation going with Ellie. This is God Hears Her. Oh man, okay, Elisa, I am so excited about our guest. And there's many reasons why I'm excited about her. One of them is that I follow her on social media, and I just love watching her dance with her family. And <laughs> Are you also, a stalker, Erin? Are you a stalker? Maybe just a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, but I just love her, her joy, and then her just real gritty uh, truths that she speaks through mm-hmm. books and through her albums and her songs. Like her lyrics are just—I mean—they pierce. The purest parts of my heart that, I mean, she puts things in form that I'm like, oh, that's how I felt. That's how I feel in my relationship mm. with the Lord. Ellie's here with us. Ellie Holcomb. Yes. 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 Oh, air hug. Air hug. Welcome, Ellie. Welcome. And I think that's a great introduction because I don't know you and I've just been well, stalking you too, too, you know, just trying to get to know you. And the main thing I was impressed about was that word grit, your voice, your spirit, your heart in a beautiful, cool word, grit. And so welcome. It's really neat to have you here. I'm really, really glad to be here, y'all. Thanks for having me. And I don't feel like it's stalking ever on social media. I just feel like it's the way that we feel connected, especially in these days. It just feels really sweet to be able to, um, I don't know, feel a sense of like community, even though we can't maybe all be together always. Yeah. Thank you for permission <laughs> to, to, do, to draw really up close and personal. Thank you for that invitation. Yeah. Oh, well, Ellie, for those of 
the listeners, which are probably just a few that don't know much about your story, would you catch them up a little bit and share maybe just the beginning of before you got married and before you got into music to taking us to being like getting involved in music? And I know, I know that transition, that pivot in your life is just, it's really interesting to me, but I want to hear who's Ellie before Ellie had all these other pieces that people got to get to know. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I would say I grew up here in Nashville, Tennessee. My dad is a producer. I thought that was the coolest job ever uh, that he (laughs) had. Um, And I'm the oldest of five kids. My mom and three brothers have ADD, so that was never boring. It was never boring at our house. (laughs) (laughs) But we were very much a musical family. But also, I so I, I grew up in the studios in Nashville. Mm. Um, saw and can I just say, Ellie, I I grew yeah. up with your dad. I'm more of his generation. <gasps> oh. Yeah, yeah, Brown Bannister, if I can say his name. And and so yes. you know anybody who's of my generation, I didn't have to Google him. I knew him. So you knew. <laughs> anyway, it's I it's neat context. Yeah. Brown Bannister, yeah. or you, my friends in high school called him Beige Handrail oh. <laughs> instead of Brown Bannister. <laughs> um, but he. Uh, he was sort of uh, at this wonderful church. He and my mom were at this church called Belmont and just kind of in the Jesus movement days. Mm-hmm. And uh, really before like Christian contemporary music was a thing. And mm-hmm. so anyway, I just heard, I got to see so up close from a very young age, the power of music to bring hope, mm-hmm. uh, to bring people uh, to an awareness of God's love for them, um, and into really an experience of God's love for them. I remember being just so little, I got to go, I mean, Amy Grant was in my dad's youth group. So he like made oh, all of her first records. Um, and I got to go see her and walk into an arena full of people. You know, I don't know how old I was, a little kid, six, maybe seven, mm. and an arena full of people is singing thy word with their hands raised. And I was oh, like, this wow. is so cool. So I am so grateful for that perspective on music and people like Amy who very much were not, anyway, about themselves, just about others encountering love mm-hmm. and beauty and truth. And so, um, I saw yeah. that. And then in the same breath, I saw as a very young kid, I was like, I am never going to be a musician because you have to leave home all the time. Yeah. That sounds yeah. terrible. And yeah. I was not enamored with fame by any means. Uh, and so I actually swore that I would never do music, that I would never be a musician and, uh, that I would never <laughs> marry a musician for sure, which I just think God has a sense of humor because, uh, oops, uh, yeah, fast forward, yeah, fast forward to now. And I'm also swore I would never marry my best guy friend in college. whose name is Drew Holcomb and that is who hmm. I'm married. So I don't swear that I'm not going to do things anymore. Uh, because <laughs> I'm like, God's like, we'll see. But I grew up in the church in a very vibrant community and, uh, my mom and dad loved Jesus and, and prayed. I mean, just prayer was, I was thinking about how I know to pray and it's just cause my mom prayed all the time. 
<laughs> growing oh, up. Wow. I mean, before oh. we left, before our meals, for complete strangers at the gas station, I was like, <laughs> oh boy. Um, so I uh, somehow, though, even growing up in this like amazing, vibrant community, I gathered that the gospel was all about me being good enough and loving mm-hmm. God and loving other people enough. And that's all good and well, but that's not really the gospel. Mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful that God in his kindness, you know, showed me that you know, in my college years, it really was, uh, that he was showing me that I, the gospel is him running hard and fast after us when we're running hard and fast in the other direction, spinning in his face. Yeah. And, and that it's not about the gospel is not about, uh, making bad people, good people. It's making dead people, alive people. And that is what he's yeah. done in my life and in my story. And, and so yeah. I just, um, landed myself in counseling three years into marriage and uh, I, I also landed myself in my husband's band three years before that, which is a job I never thought that I would have. I got my so master's in education. Just to pause there, did landing yourself in the band lead to landing yourself in counseling? Honestly, I think, <laughs> I, I really think it's that a good question. it's tied. Yeah. It's totally tied uh-huh. because you cannot be yeah. in a Volvo station wagon with someone for like 12 hours a day. Like you just really can't hide very much there, you know? And yeah. so, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, it just, I think by three years, I like couldn't pretend that something was off with me and I hated conflict. I hated conflict. And I think what happened, and, and I think this happens so often in the church, unfortunately, is I just was, pretend, I didn't know it was okay to not be okay. And, mm-hmm. and I spent a lot of my life hiding. I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was lying to myself, to God, therefore to everybody else. I'm like, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And inside I really wasn't. And so I don't want to interrupt you, but I want to clarify. Yeah. Um, Whether, was there a specific set of memories or circumstances that led you to go, Oh, I need help right now. I mean, in addition to the the Volvo going across the the country, which is enough to send anybody into therapy, but Were there some specific issues? Yeah, I think that, I I think mainly I had all of this pain uh, from my childhood. And what's crazy is I didn't even really get into that until the past couple years, really. Um, But I I had a really um, uh, sort of an abusive relationship in college that was, it was just, it was really hard. And I had a lot of things about that. I like knew better than to, let my, I, and I only realized it afterwards. I was, I would be talking to young girls, uh, volunteering at Young mm-hmm. Life Camp, and they would be telling me about their relationship. And I'm like, sweet girl, you are, this is abuse. You know, like you need mm-hmm. to get out of this situation. And it wasn't until I was counseling other girls that I was like, that, this was, I was you. I was you. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and so I think that was part of it. But honestly, more than anything, I just think I didn't know how to be, and I said this before, I didn't know it was okay to be broken. And yeah. it's yeah. crazy because that's like very clear in the gospel. Like he, he knows that we are. That's why he sent Jesus. And I don't know. It's like the church isn't a trophy room. It's supposed to be a hospital and mm-hmm. and a table that everybody is welcome to. And so Brene Brown says says it like this, but it's it's really hard to stand up and own the brokenness in our own stories. But she says it's a lot harder to spend your life running from that. Oh, and so and yeah. that is what I did. And that was the main 
problem. Because I think if we aren't, and I, and I don't know why, I don't know why the church makes it, I don't know why. I, no one ever said this to me. No one ever said, you have to be perfect. N- not the <laughs> yeah. preacher, not my parents. Like, But I just gathered growing up in the church that I needed to be okay. And I knew enough to be dangerous. Y'all like I could confess things like I was like, yeah, this is hard, but I wouldn't really go all the way there. I just would, I would like let some of it show and not really share all of it. And not that we need to share all of our brokenness with everyone all the time, but like I, it does say in scripture, like confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. That's like not a popular verse that people like stitch you know, on a little thing and put on a pillow. But like, I have seen that that. in in my life. Like there's freedom. It's not, that's not a a shaming like directive from God. It's don't let this stuff fester in the dark, bring it out into the light. Cause my grace is big enough to cover it. Like, and actually when you bring it out into the light, that is your story. That's how you're going to know that I'm real. And so I, I am so grateful that, that I haven't missed out on the opportunities of knowing the depth and and the breadth of God's love. Um, I think if I wasn't willing to go to visit those broken places and in the context of counseling and safe relationships, like share that with others, I don't, I don't know that I would understand the gospel in the way that I do now. And I'm, and I'm really, and, and love and empathy for myself, even I, I, I'm the meanest to myself. I can self hate. Um, and I'm just slowly learning over the years to be like, to be kind (laughs) to myself because God is kind with us and to, Mm -hmm. and to just come broken, tripping and stumbling to the foot of the cross. So good. Yeah. I really, really what my counselor did that first time she was like, think about salsa. And I was like, I love salsa and I love you. Um, (laughs) what do you want to talk about? And she was like, well, you actually need intensive counseling and you can choose. You could do mild, which will be coming in here once a year, talking through the year. Uh, medium will be like on a need to know basis. If you just need help working through a circumstance, she was like, hot's going to be looking like laying your personality out across the gospel, exposing some pretty serious sin patterns that are in your life that you have no idea are there. Uh, it's going to be hard. You're not going to want to come back a lot. So you can choose mild or medium, but if you do that, in about 10 to 12 years, your life is going to fall apart or you can choose hot. Wow. And I was like very timidly hot, hot <laughs> maybe, I guess. Oh. But I also remember oh. just thinking, oh, thank God. Like I, cause I knew that something was off. I didn't even know how to put my finger on it, but I just had had all this pain, all these wounds um, from, from the time I was a very young girl to current that I had stuffed. And as it turns out, God is a healer. Like he comes to tend to our wounds and to bind up broken hearts. And I knew that in my head, but I was too scared to give him my broken heart. So I, um, to move just quickly from that and the freedom that I started experiencing because my counselor just repeated the invitation that Jesus gives to all of us that where there's truth, there's freedom. And, uh, I started being honest with my doubts, with my fear, with all of these things in my life that I had mistakes that I made that I was so ashamed of and just hid from everyone. And I found out that I could be completely known 
I had always been completely known and yet was still completely loved. And the freedom that I experienced (laughs) starting in my relationship with the Lord, trickling down to my relationship with my husband and now every other relationship, it is, um, it is a freedom like I've never known. And it is, um, I, so I sensed in this season, I was touring with my husband's band, um, growing and really since this desire, we took our little girl, we have three kids now, but at the time, um, we had our little girl, our first baby, Emmy Lou on the road with us at two weeks. By the time she was six months, she'd been to 32 States in Canada. And we were like, not on a tour bus, y'all. We were like in a conversion van, you know, like it was like, she was in her car seat, sweet girl for like, you know, a very large portion of her uh, first year of life. And I just started sensing that I needed to go home and, and let her walk, not in a bar. I mean, it's crazy. I have like, anyway, she was just in a lot of bars and clubs and, and theaters. Yeah. And that was a beautiful thing. Cause it was her family, but I sure. just sensed that maybe yeah. I needed to be home with her, but we had built this whole career together. So it felt like a crazy thing, but I had started writing songs. I was memorizing scripture with a friend of mine um, who battles depression Sorry, I'm getting choked up, y'all. Um, I'm just still doing life with her. And I'm really grateful for God's word because what we what we realized is uh, that it wasn't enough. There's so many lies that we believe. And it wasn't enough for us to just acknowledge the lies. Like we needed to ground ourselves in what was true. So we started memorizing God's word together. And what that did for us is that it gave us solid ground to stand on when the shame storms started rolling in. And we found out that God's not lying when he says that his word is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. And just like the rains that fall from the heavens and don't return to the heavens without first nourishing the earth and causing it to bud and flourish. That's his word that goes out of his mouth. that will accomplish the purposes for which he sent it. And as we started memorizing God's word, we're not very good at it. But it started changing us and it didn't change our circumstances, but it, it changed us from the inside out and, um, and has continued, it continues to do that. Um, and I'm so grateful for that. And so I started writing songs. I was trying to write for my husband's band. He's in the Americana, like AAA radio world. Um, not really making like, uh, CCM music for sure. Uh, but just writing about his life and, and, faith, but we, you know, anyway, so I just kept accidentally writing songs about Jesus. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I wrote another one uh, about the Lord. <laughs> and, um, so it was amazing. And and so this was when I had just found out that I was pregnant with Emmy Lou. I was, I was memorizing scripture and, and then writing scripture mm-hmm. in a song to help me hang on to these truths that I don't believe a lot of days, honestly, like mm-hmm. that I have a hard yeah. time believing. And I'm like, maybe if I can sing this, It'll help me believe it. And so I just thought I was writing for myself and for my friend. And um, and Drew, my husband, was so amazing. He was just like, hey, Elle, don't feel like you need to write for a band. Like, just write what's coming out of you. Mm-hmm. Like, just mm-hmm. lean into that. And for whatever reason, I don't think I needed his permission to do that. But when he said that, it was like a fire lit under me. And by the end of that nine months before Milou was born, I had – a little girl to hold and then like about 47 new songs Whoa. to sing. And, wow. um, so I, 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 and I, again, I just thought they were for me. And then about, you know, when she turned about a year old, I sense God saying, stay home. And then about six months after I got off the road, which was a crazy financial decision for a family. It didn't make any sense. Yeah. Like, 
I sensed God saying, okay, would you be willing basically to go play these songs for people? And I was like, mm. nope. Because, absolutely because Ellie, you were never going to be a musician. So you're on the road right. with your husband and his band and you're a new mom and suddenly you start writing. And so this process, and, and you shared about all this pain that you'd been in and all this therapy yep. you've been through. So if I, and I'm way up here at the, you know, the big 30,000 foot looking at your life, you know, I'm seeing this thread weaving your pain from your childhood, normal stuff, probably, but maybe you could go yeah, into that totally a little bit more, but stuff, stuff. You, you had make, yeah, that can. weaves into a calling, weaves into a sacred yeah. offering that you never anticipated. Yeah. It's yeah. really beautiful. And it was, I was so scared when I sensed that call. Cause I just, I think I saw music be hard on families and mm. as a kid. And I was just like, Oh, not doing that. But what I, the really, the songs are definitely a part of what I sense God calling me to share. But I, what I really felt like he was asking me to do is would you be, we weren't playing for churches very often at all, but I've asked, I just felt like um, he was saying the church is full of a lot of hurting people too. And would you be willing to go be broken in front of, of people in the church? And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't want to do that at it's all. one thing to choose I was hot one of those salsa people. with your therapist. It's another thing to choose hot salsa with the public. Yeah. <laughs> Elise, I say it all the time in shows because I'll I'll like tear up during a show and I'm like, cool, I'll just be in counseling in front of all you guys. This is great. Okay. (laughs) But that is exactly right. It is a super vulnerable um, uh, thing. But but just like you said, Elise, that's such a beautiful way of of a broader view of and 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 then you look at the broader view of the gospel, and that is like it is a God man who was broken, whose pain yeah. weaves into all of our pain yeah. and redeems it, like offers yeah. a way through it. And, um, yeah. and, uh, and this next record that I've been working on is, is so much about that process of just, um, of going into, I, so, and, if, if my dad was here, he would say this, uh, Bay Chandrail would say it, uh, <laughs> but, um, mm-hmm. he was gone for so much of my childhood. He was so passionate about this work that God was calling him to. And, um, he would say, looking back, he was a workaholic. So he just missed a lot of my childhood. And mm-hmm. when my daughter went to kindergarten, all of a sudden, uh, but, but also when I went to college, God just changed his heart. Y'all called him home. Like, mm-hmm. He still was working, but he moved his studio home. He was like, I have missed it. I am so sorry. I love y'all so much. And I, the two things that I have to offer you are repentance and Jesus and to say, I'm here and I love you. And uh, that has given me so much freedom as a mom to know, like, I don't have to yeah. get this thing totally right. I won't for sure. Cause that's, as it turns out, like I'm just a human. <laughs> <And> so, um, <laughs> but to know that we, 
uh, because of who Jesus is and because of how he loves us and because of what he did on the cross and because he walked out of a grave, we can come and say, I didn't get that right. And, and I need yeah. forgiveness and there's forgiveness for the taking. Yeah. And he came and said that, and there was so much healing and restoration and he's made all my records with me, which is crazy full circle, like wow. wild mm-hmm. moment. feels like, you know, like God restoring the years that the locusts have yeah. eaten. I mean, at, we were mentioned our friend, Matt Ingle earlier, Aaron, and, and yeah. We went on this radio tour together and we talk about like, isn't it crazy that the thing that took my dad away from us, we're doing together and partnering together on it's so beautiful. But when my little girl went to kindergarten, which was, you know, uh, several years ago now, it set off this whole thing in me um, because dad, so much has been healed and restored. I just realized there was a lot of stuff in my childhood that I, that I just never grieved. I was at all these things in kindergarten and I was like, oh my gosh, my dad wasn't at this. Oh my good. And just this, you know, this like sense of loss and in the midst of all of that, God is so kind. Um, and I ended up, uh, just asking one day on my face, like kind of grieving, letting myself grieve all that and counseling again, um, about it. And, uh, ended up on my face asking God, you know, where were you during all of this? Like, Mm. and man, y'all, I, the only way I can describe it is it is just as if God, it was like the ghost of Christmas past or something, taking me to all these memories, some of which I remember, some Mm. of which I don't. And in every single time, every single place where there was a wound, whether it was from my dad being gone or from a heart getting broken, I was in a really hard relationship, abuse, some abusive stuff, uh, in college. And any one of those moments, um, God just showed me this picture that he had been there the whole time. It's like the Miss Doubtfire scene, you know, the whole time, the whole, the whole time, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you're like, you were there the whole time. (laughs) It is. And so I think what I've seen as I get older and, um, as I become more, aware of, of the brokenness in me and the brokenness and my past, the brokenness in our Mm -hmm. world. Um, there's this capacity to hold sorrow and to kind of lean into those broken places that just, it's like, why would you, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. I hate pain. I'm like, why would I go, why would I go near that and like rest there? Yeah. It's just, it's like, that sounds like the last thing that I want to do. But the beautiful thing in doing that, yeah, in drawing near to that, those broken places that just feel so jacked up that you're like, the, the places that you still have questions, you're like, God, why did it go down like that? Like, I'm going to yeah. ask you that when I get on the other side of glory. Like, why did the story turn out that way? Um, yeah. I wouldn't have written it that way. In those moments, I can go back to even those and yeah. uh, see the presence and the love of God and the tears of God, like this man of sorrows meeting me in those places. And, um, and so my capacity for, it's not in spite of the sorrow in my life that I can say that God is real. It's like, I know he's real more because of it. Like, because I have seen him show up in these broken places and y'all the, the, the way that he continues to, um, heal the relationship 
with my dad and my mom and I was able to share with them uh, just sort of the journey that God had me on. And I'm like, y'all, I'm like, dad, when you weren't there, guess who was? God. <laughs> and, and, and then for that to just inform and bring even more healing to our whole family, it has just been, it has been so, so beautiful. And when we come back, Ellie will share with us some of her personal experiences of God meeting her in the deepest, darkest desert moments. And she'll also speak direct encouragement to the moments when you and I don't feel like God does hear us. This is God Hears Her. Thank you for listening to this God Hears Her podcast. Elise and I love sharing this space with you, and we want to invite you to become an even bigger part of our God Hears Her community by signing up for our weekly email newsletters. We'll keep you updated on new podcasts, encouraging blog posts, exciting new products, and so much more. Just go to GodHearsHer.org and sign up today. That's GodHearsHer.org. Now back to the show. Ellie, when I was reading the lyrics, I love to, uh, whenever I listen to new songs, I pull up the lyrics so I can just kind of be one with the song. I love that so <laughs> like, much. hear it and read it. And I have this line that just stuck out to me. And I want to ask you about it. Like, where did this line come from? You say, how many miles does my soul have to drive before love can collide with the mess in my life? And then I uh, love you say later on, like, tell me that I'm not alone. And it just feels like there's a plea there. Like, please mm-hmm. tell me I'm not alone. Memories of darkness undone by the light reminding me you are right here by my side. The, I, I, there's, I mean, I could read the whole song. Why don't I just do read the whole song? <laughs> or we could ever sing it. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Um but the how many miles does my soul have to drive before love can collide with the mess in my life? Would you like, would you unpack that yeah. lyric of what that meant to you, where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. So I had the privilege of writing that song with John Guerra and David Leonard, and we had never written together before. And we were just all ended up talking about these different dark nights of the soul that we had mm. been through. And for me, that pertained to a ton of just a, about a season, four years of um, just like seemingly senseless loss, everything from uh, dear friends uh, walking through or, or family members walking through infertility, walking through loss. I had two friends who lost children and friend checking into rehab uh, to cancer. And then my dad walked through a cancer journey. And so it just was one of those seasons where it just felt, everything felt uh, really hopeless and dry and dark, desert, desert land. And and these other uh, guys were sharing their own stories of that. And um, one of the stories that one of them told was uh, he literally was driving across the desert trying to make sense of after one of these dark nights of his soul. And he just was screaming in the desert, you know, just driving alone mm-hmm. from California back home to uh, the east side of the country. And said, God, where are you? Where are you, God? 
Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, literally, like, can you even hear me? I think is what he said. And literally he turned around this bend and he said the moon was rising because that happens in the desert, which is kind of mm-hmm. crazy. We're not totally used to that in the hills of yeah. Tennessee and in the east. <laughs> Yeah. But uh, he said the moon, it was almost like that scene in the Truman Show. It was just mm. like this spotlight. Mm. And it was this moment where he was like, God sees mm. me. Like, do you even hear me? And it was just like, boom. <laughs> yes, like, I do. Oh, wow. oh my gosh, you do hear me. And um, mm. I just, I love, I love that story because that is like a physical story of what I have seen God do over and over and over again is see me and show up and weep with me when I am weeping. I love that, that God's a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And, um, I have known his nearness, um, in, in times when I have grieved. And so, and because of that, um, I can move forward in a different way through grief but I have to remind myself. Um, and so that's why I write songs like constellations. Cause I forget, mm-hmm. you know, I get scared. I get, we get scared. Yeah. And, um, yeah. as it turns out, there's no fear in love. And so, um, I think the beautiful thing of that is, um, I have a friend who, who has a little boy who was getting a cast off and he was wigging out. They turned that yeah, saw on, you yeah. know, to saw the cast off, and he was just <laughs> losing his mind and uh, take the arm off. up on yeah. top of her. Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah, he's like, "What are you? What are they going to do to me? Like, my arm is already broken. It doesn't need <laughs> to be sawed off. <laughs> Don't take it off." And his amazing mom, my friend Sarah, looked at him and she said, "Are you afraid right now?" Hmm. And he's kind of looking at her like, "Yeah." yeah. Yeah, I'm afraid. And she goes, okay, I can see that. What if you're allowed to be afraid right now? Hmm. I I can Hmm. see that you're afraid, but I want you to look in my face right now. Am I, do I look afraid to Hmm. you? And he's like, no. And she's like, do you see this nurse over here? Look at her face. Does she look afraid to you? And the nurse was like, like, what are we doing here? But, uh, (laughs) but he he looked at the nurse and he's like, no, she doesn't look afraid. She's like, what if you're allowed to be afraid? But you can sit here in my lap and look, sorry, and look at my face. Do you think that you could do this then? He said, yeah. And uh, I just, I love that story. And she says that a couple nights later, she was, you know, trying to go to sleep like we all do some nights and the worries start mm-hmm. circulating and, the, and uh, all the things. They're and so she, good at that at mm, night, aren't they? Oh, it's <laughs> crazy. You're like, no, 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 no. I want to go to sleep. Not worry about everything in my life. And, and, and yet that is a lot of times for me when the panic attacks have come, you know, in my own experience and she's describing this. I'm like, I know exactly how that feels. And she said, I just sensed God say that same thing to me. Are you afraid Mm -hmm. right now? Mm -hmm. I can see that you're afraid. Okay. What if you're allowed to be afraid? Will you just sit with me and look at my face? Like, oh, that's beautiful. Oh man. Oh, beautiful. If I can do that, yeah. I, I feel like I can do about yeah. anything. Yeah. Cause I know, I know the one who made me, who mm-hmm. loves me, who's, who's been through this and, and walked and made it through is, is right here. To the, yeah. the women right now who are oh. listening to, to our precious people, men and women who are listening right now and who really do feel too messed up, too in pain, um, terrified of the hot salsa counseling meetings, you know, to those people, 
what would you say right now in terms of how God hears them? You know, what kind of encouragement would you give them from this, this journey that you've been on? Hmm. I would just say that God is with you. He is with you and he can handle your anger and he can handle your hurt. He can hold it all. He can take it into himself. And he has been, he has been there. He has been there with you in it. And he's also walked out of a grave. And because of that, you're suffering, whatever sorrow you are experiencing, it does not have the final word. It doesn't have the final word. And I would just encourage you. I, I, I don't, it is, it is a paradox. And I think a lot of the gospel is, but I would encourage you to find a safe person that you can walk with. <laughs> Um, but also know that he is, he can handle, you can come to him. He's a safe space. And then I'm thinking of C.S. Lewis and it's like, he's not safe and he's good. And I think that line from the lion, the witch and the wardrobe, (laughs) when he's not safe, it doesn't mean that we're not safe with him and that our stories and our brokenness isn't safe with him. It means that you can't be around him and not be changed. Mm. (laughs) Like your heart is going to be transformed Mm -hmm. because you can't help when you come completely through the door, like a broken mess with nothing to offer and you encounter love and generosity and empathy and kindness and mercy and grace that is available to us in the presence of God, you don't walk away the same. And it's not safe and it's not easy visiting our deepest pain. It it just isn't. Um, But I, I was, I just had the opportunity to, to go to the Grand Canyon and uh, it was a dream of a trip and and we went down, we were down into the canyon, y'all. It is in a river that is freezing cold. Um, (laughs) And when we went, we camped down there um, and when we were going to bed, uh, they, they were, the guides were telling us, they're like, Hey, don't go to sleep too soon because there's something that happens when you are in such a deep canyon like this Mm. uh that it's called like the rim effect i don't know if that's the scientific Mm. term but basically because there is no ambient light because of how dark it is down here the stars seem like they are right in front of your face and they are brighter they appear brighter and closer than you could than is scientifically possible like it just so i woke up that night many times, mainly because it was 110 degrees. <laughs> That'll do it. <laughs> but I have never, I have never. And then I literally went and jumped in a 50 degree cold river with all my sheets and blankets. That's what they told us to do. And I was like, cool, I'm not doing that. And then I woke up in the middle of the night. And I was like, cool, I'm going to go jump in the river. Um, but I, but it was one of the most beautiful experiences of my life because I felt like I had this physical experience of what I've seen in my own story that the darkest most messed up most broken places in my life have been where I've seen the light of Christ show up in the most bright and stunning and and powerful way those are the stories that I tell it's about Jesus it's not I did this all right and this is how you should do it all right too (laughs) It's like, I have nothing for you Uh, in that lane. But I I guess I would just say, 
Christ. He's the light of the world and he is brighter than your darkness and he is with you even if you can't see him. You know, even if you're in the middle of a storm and you can't see the stars, they're still shining. And um, and I would say I'm sorry for whatever you're going through and you're not alone. And I can't wait to hear the stories you'll tell of, of being in a in a canyon place and finding light and then a river running through. That imagery of sitting at the bottom of the Grand Canyon, well, isn't that just a perfect metaphor for when we are in the deepest, darkest places and God continues to show up? This is God Hears Her. And before we close out today's episode, just a quick reminder that the show notes are available in the podcast description. The show notes not only contain the talking points for today's episode, but also include a link to a free resource. It's a free digital download titled Going the Distance, Practices to Strengthen Your Faith. This digital download explores spiritual disciplines and how applying these practices to our lives can impact our run toward the ultimate goal, living like Jesus. This download is yours for free. Just click on the link in the podcast description on our website, godhearsher.org. Not only will you find a link to this free digital download, but the show notes also contain a link to sign up for the God Hears Her newsletter, featuring helpful articles and stories from women just like you who are discovering what it means to be seen and heard by God. And you can also find links to connect with Elisa and me on social. We'd love to hear how this show has impacted you and even answer any questions you might have after listening. So again, you can find these links in the show notes or by visiting our website at godhearsher.org. That's godhearsher.org. Thanks for joining us. And don't forget, God hears you. He sees you. And he loves you because you are his. Today's episode was engineered by Ann Stevens and produced by Mary Jo Clark and Daniel Ryan Day. And we also want to take a moment to thank Melissa and Rochelle for their help in creating and promoting the God Hears Her podcast. Thank you, friends. God Hears Her is a production of Our Daily Bread Ministries.